When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm happy to report that we have Agent Smith back in the building. Mr. Bilyeu. What's up, dude? How's it going? It is good to have you back, man. It's good to be back. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. How was it with uh, Dr. Finesse? It was good. I love my man, but I'm going to be honest. Like, there's just... You're like coming home, and (laughs) it's good to be home. So I enjoyed my vacation with Dr. Finesse, but I'm happy to be home. Well, I, I know he, um, I left you in good hands with Dr. Finesse. You did. He is, he is an excellent storyteller, and he's that, very good at asking questions. That well. is for sure on both counts, and, and it is a lot of fun, uh, but we built this thing together, my yeah. friend. So, so it's good to get you. back into it. So this week we have Nastia Lukin. Yes. Nastia Lukin. And just as a reminder, everyone, this is After Impact. If this is the first time you're listening on the podcast... This is the show where Tom and I unpack the impact of this week's episode of Impact Theory with Nastia Lukin, the amazing, the incredible, very impressive Yes, Nastia Lukin. No question. No question. Um, so she obviously is a very um, decorated gymnast, uh, won uh, many medals in the Olympics, and it's Olympic seasons right now, so it's yeah. fun to have this episode go out and to be thinking about the Olympics and talking about what makes the mindset of an Olympic athlete. And she clearly has an incredible story. So let's dive into it. Indeed. Yeah. Her, her story is pretty spectacular. And what I love about her story and part of what she's become famous for is how she handled the failure, how she handled the adversity. And I love that, man. Like, Every Olympic cycle, there's going to be the same number of winners, but not everybody's going to have a story that really resonates and really makes them memorable, and I, hers is, is pretty special. Yeah, when I was listening to the episode again, and you talked about her fall, and I've never seen it, I don't oh, think. Oh, wow, you've got to or, see it. Or maybe it's in the back of my head. I just need to refresh and see it, but it sounds, that story, it was like I was getting emotional listening to mm. it, the way that you know, her father reacted the way that she reacted, the crowd and everyone getting behind it. I mean, that's like straight out of a movie. It, it is straight out of a movie. Yeah. Dude, it, it is <clears throat> pure cinema. Uh, just everything about it, where the way she handled it, like everything, you're coming into the trials as like the best in the world, the all-around Olympic gold medalist. And you come in, everyone's expecting great things. Actually, two things are happening. People are expecting great things and they think you're too old. So it's like this perfect storm of like this weird pressure of like, why did you come back? Like you should have just ridden out on your, you know, your high. And it's actually very few people that have their first Olympics in their late teens that come back to do another one. It's just really, really rare, which is startling to me how young gymnasts retire. And she, so she's coming back. People think, oh, it's a little bit crazy. Like you're kind of old. They thought she was too old the first time she did it. So coming back, it's like, you're the best in the world. So you better live up to it. And by the way, you're too old and nobody really expects you to do anything. So it's like this weird, like feeling. And then she falls, man. And like, 
Just the, and because the consequences of a fall are don't fall, make the Olympic team, fall, and you can't. Like it, it's mathematically impossible to make the Olympic team. Right. So once she hits the mat, it's not get up and, and oh, well, at least I finish and then I've got a shot. It's you're done. You don't have to get back up. You can literally just tap out. Everyone's going to be like, yep, totally get it. Because you can't place anyway now. Mm-hmm. And she still gets back up. And then nails the rest of her routine, which means not only does she get back up, which would be hard to do psychologically, that she doesn't get her in her own way with doubt and fear and I might fall again or I'm really embarrassed. And so like think about when you're really embarrassed in front of a lot of people, like your head is so cloudy. You're so like in the fog of war and she just nails it. It's pretty incredible. It is incredible. Let's, I think a big driver of all of this and something that, Nasia talks really profoundly about in the episode is belief. And she says that in so much of her career when she was training, people were telling her she wasn't good enough, that she couldn't do this, that, you know, they're just telling her no a lot. And it made me think about, you know, she really had to work for a long time against that, um, you know, the naysayers and hold on to that belief. And so how do you think about, and I know you've experienced this in your career too, how do you think about sustaining belief over the long term? Well, one, I think that people need to not only accept being doubted by people that they respect, people that are in a position to really make a judgment call about you. Mm -hmm. They know enough to look at you and go, yeah, you're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And to not only be comfortable with that, to covet it, to want it. Mm -hmm. Because the only thing that success is going to ask of you is, do you want it badly enough? Do you want it badly enough? Not are you capable, everybody's capable. Do you want it badly enough to push through, to find a way to believe in yourself, to do all the psychological tactics from the vision board that she creates to showing up and doing the hard work and busting your ass and learning how to deal with injuries and saying the one thing I don't want is regrets and so she goes extra hard her final year and saying like failure I can accept but not doing everything in my power that I cannot accept. So. When somebody doubts you, it, it is another tool. It's like having a vision board. A vision board's effective. It's not the whole thing. It's part of it. It's getting you to imagine things going right. Having a chip on your shoulder is part of it. It's another tool that you can leverage to say, fuck that. Like this person, I am not going to let them be right. And we're driven like that. We're motivated by that. And when somebody can leverage that as one of the tools to not come from an ugly place every time, to not be a better, bitter competitor, but instead to say, this is another tool. And I'm going to lean on that in a moment where maybe I do want to quit. Maybe I do want to give up. I want to go home, looking at all the beautiful things, the love of the craft, spending the time with my family. Like when all of that isn't working in that moment, in that acute little moment, to remember Those people who gave you the gift of doubt is pretty powerful. So sustaining it over the long run is really about finding all of the different tactics, not just one, not just a vision board, not just the love, not just the hate, but like all of it in a wonderful salad, a potpourri of like (laughs) motivational tactics. That's when people really are able to sustain it. Nice. I love that. Um, Nastia has had a really supportive family throughout her career as a gymnast. Um, her, both her parents were gymnasts. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Russian, ru- like Rocky for Russian yeah. gymnasts. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I would break him. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. 
So yeah, super diehard gymnast. Both uh, father won four gold medals, if I'm not mistaken, in the Olympics, and then her mom was a national champion. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of having a supportive team behind you when you're going at something so big and how people can build that team? You know, it's interesting. I, I really want to tell you that it's not important because it is overcomable. To not have a support mm. system is overcomable. And I want people to be really fucking clear about that. I don't want to hear excuses. I didn't have a support system. Yeah. Like, you can do it. It just makes it harder. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it's very clear that the system Nastia was able to rely on wasn't the only way it could have happened, but the system she was able to rely on was that her parents were amazingly supportive down to, Hey, if you want to quit on a good day, you can, you don't have to do this, but then not letting her quit on a bad day, which I thought was really, really interesting. I loved that. Mm -hmm. Um, the way that you go about building this is by putting yourself out there, telling people what you're about being ultra supportive of other people so that that can be reflected back on you. One of the easiest ways to get somebody to do something for you is to first do it for them and do it like with clarity of purpose, um, not doing it because you want them to do it back, but doing it because uplifting other people is fucking awesome. And so when you do that and you're telling people, this is what I'm about, support them in their dreams, even if it's the same dream. Like, I, I can't tell you, like when Lisa first started doing um, Sheroic, I was like, this, this is gonna blow up and it's gonna go faster than what I'm doing. And I thought, that's fucking awesome, man. I'm gonna cheerlead so hard for my wife that she's gonna know I really want her to succeed. And she'll be able to look me in my eye and know, like, am, am I bullshitting? Um, am I doing this because I think I'm supposed to? Or am I doing this because I want that woman to win? Like, in everything that she does, I just really, really wanna see her happy and succeed and touch people's lives and all that. And because she can see that, like, I really want that. I really want her to shine. I love it when she shines. It's awesome. She has a very easy time supporting me in the things that I want to do and where I want to shine. And then quite frankly, she supported me so many times. It was so easy for me to want to see her shine. So it's like, it becomes this amazing self-reinforcing loop. Mm -hmm. But you have to tell people that you want it and then you've got to be the kind of person that you want to attract. And do you think you need like what types of people do you need in your life? Is it family and close friends? Can it be um, people who don't live nearby you, like how do you build that team? So I think when it can be family, that's amazing. There really is something hardwired in us to um, over invest in people that we are biologically related to. That's just truth. Then there's friends. And I, if you view friends as the family you choose, then it takes on all this like importance and you can really tie it to that biological desire that we have to, to have people for whom we would sacrifice. And there's something about that I would like lay my life down for this person that feels good to you. It's really strange. So in order, I think they go, family is gonna be the most naturally potent. Doesn't mean that you can't build potency into other things, but they're the most naturally potent, followed by... Um, Maybe mentors, I have to really think about whether mentors would be more powerful there because they are going to have tools that like friends may not have. Um, and then certainly friends that you choose like family, I think it'd be incredibly amazing. And then now we're living through an era where it's going to make my top five things you can have in your life is to have a remote 
um, socially based group of a tribe, like people call it, um, that you may never see physically, but you have that thing that bonds you. And it's, it's the modern equivalent of religion, right? You didn't meet all the people that were the same religion as you, but you could bump into them uh, in a foreign country and immediately feel a sense of kinship because they're wearing a cross or they're wearing a, you know, um, the same kind of turban that you wear, whatever that thing is. Um, just instantly there was a connection. And so I think that we're getting a birth of something new around that, which is the ability to create these remote tribes. I mean, even think about what we do, right? The logo is meant to be a symbol. We literally designed it to be a symbol. And so giving people a way to signal each other that they're a part of a group um, that have a core set of values, right? We spend so much time here at Impact Theory trying to just extol what our values are so that people know what to bond over, how to support each other. And that as long as those things are real, it can be incredibly empowering. So, you know, we're, I'm very grateful that we're living in a time and not so much for myself because I've had great family support. I've had great friends throughout my life. Um, but really because I think that there are people all over the world that don't have that and social is now giving them all these options of groups that they can connect with in a very meaningful way that they wouldn't have had even 15 years ago. Yeah, definitely. And shout out to the Impact Theory League for Shways. If you are not involved, that's our Facebook community group, um, which you can find like-minded people who are trying to achieve success, realize their potential, have more of a growth mindset in their lives. And I was just browsing through some of the posts the other day, and I was very... Um, it was so heartwarming to see the the outreach across the league from from people saying, you know, can you guys help me with this problem, or um, what do you think about this idea? And people are people are writing long responses mm -hmm. and and supporting each other. So it was great. So if you guys are interested in that, go check it out on Facebook. All right. Um, so Nastia said that the big thing for her was that she sort of do her best, her very best and have no regrets. And sort of this idea of like leaving it out all on the field, mm. it, I feel like it's become a cliche, but she took real steps to really push herself to be her absolute best. And she talks about in the run up to train or in the run up to the event, all of the different things she was doing to mm. like go to the next level. So I guess my question is like, how do you know if you've got more to give? How do you know that you're at that absolute ceiling for yourself? Don't you feel it? Like, I feel it. Like, I have a voice in my head that basically stops heckling me when I've actually given everything. Mm. And it knows when I am about to do something that would be slacking off. And it just says, like, hey, you 100%, if you want to slack off right now, absolutely go for it. But know then that you can't say that if you're awake, you're either working or working out. Like, and, and it, like it floats it like, you know, in the kindest way that it can, but it's like, well, what do you want? Is it, does the identity bring you enough joy and power and all of that, that you wanna adhere to that and actually be that person? Or do you want to let off the gas pedal? Like there's no moral obligation, right? She doesn't have a moral obligation to do her best to win a gold medal, nobody does. And in fact, the vast majority of humanity never make an attempt to win a gold medal in the Olympics. So you don't have an obligation, you don't need to do that. The whole point is to construct a life that makes you proud of who you are, that when you're by yourself, the story you tell yourself about yourself is one that's positive, mm -hmm. makes you feel good. 
And so whatever it is that you need to do to, to do that, and if that's, you know, I like to read and relax and hey, go for it. But I, I don't think anybody's ever unclear about whether or not they're leaving it on the, out on the field. What they don't like is they don't want to push any harder and they know they haven't left it on the field. That's where it sucks. So like for me, it is very clear in the gym. And I think I've talked about this before. Somebody wrote to me and was like, hey, I love seeing you in the gym so early in the morning, but where are the gains, bro? And I was like, well, obviously if I wanted gains, I would have to work harder. Like there's no mystery. So if I wanted a different physique, I would have to push myself harder. That's patent, uh, patently obvious. Uh, so I only work as hard as I'm willing to work. And so I have discomfort in the gym that's born out of, I know that if I wanted to get better results, I'd have to push myself harder. And so I'm always letting myself off the hook in the gym because that's its level of importance in my life. Because there are other areas where I push myself to the absolute bleeding edge, the brink. I push myself beyond like comfort in the extreme. And I do it day after day after day. And so because I don't give a shit enough about the gym, I don't care enough about the results and all that, that I don't do that. So but in other areas of my life, I am completely confident, comfortable, because I know I fucking played to the bleeding edge. And so that, like, I, I guess because looking at my own life, I'm never confused. I may be uncomfortable, but I'm never confused. I know when I've played all out, and I know when I haven't. And so I think it really comes down to people are uncomfortable with the fact that they don't want to admit that they're gonna let themselves off the hook, that they're not willing to go all the way into the Goggins sets. And, and what should people do at that moment? Oh, that's complete, what do they want out of their life? So for me, it's, it's very simple. I hold myself to a standard of performance. So I either am moving towards my goal or I'm not. And so, and identity. So I do get a massive neurochemical rush out of saying I'm a certain type of person and living up to that, which is rarely easy. It's normally like, and it's always, dude, I want people to hear this, fucking lean in. It's always in the moments when no one's watching, but you are watching yourself and there's no way around that. And once you get really comfortable with, it doesn't matter if other people are watching me, like to get the feeling that I want when I say Monday through Friday, when I'm awake, I'm either working or working out. Now, when I say that to get that arrogance, that juice of like, fuck yeah, like I put in this work to actually get the response. I can't bamboozle anybody. You may believe me. I may be able to fake it. You may think it's true, but I either feel it or I don't. And that comes down to the life that I'm building for myself, the value system that I have for myself, the way that I hold myself accountable. So in those moments for me, the answer is very clear, push harder, do more. When my voice says, hey, you care about this, you want that moment, and you know that right now you're about to slack off and you, and you haven't left it out on the field, then I'll push myself. But like this weekend, Lisa and I went to Vegas. Huh, I leave it out on the field all the fucking time. So I was like, yep, I'm literally, I'm not working on a Friday. I'm taking that fucking day off. I'm going to spend time with my wife and I'm not going to try to, I mean, I, because I so enjoy learning and things like that, I still was doing some work and stuff, but not like when I'm here and I'm in the grind. So that's where it's like, I'm so unconflicted about that because 99.99999% of the time when that voice says, hey, you haven't done everything, I'm like, fuck yeah, you're right, thank you. And I, I push harder and I go to the absurd point. So... If you want that, if you're trying to get the same kind of neurochemical rush I am, if you hold yourself accountable to the same just like objective results in your life, if you want to play in a world stage, all of that, the answer is always do more. 
If on the other hand, you don't, and that's not what you've built your life around, then don't. Nice. Love it. All right. Let's talk about Nastia's vision board. Um, she, she gave a really compelling story about why that worked for her. And I've always been fascinated by, I've never done a vision board myself, but I've always been kind of fascinated when I hear people talking about it. I just wanted to ask you, have you ever done a vision board? Of course. So tell me about that and, and why you think it worked for you. So it really comes down to clarity and allowing yourself to believe that it can be yours. So the thing that holds people back, one of the single biggest thing that holds people back is there is a sense, like have you ever gone, oh, I know the answer. I know how to explain that, whatever tricky conundrum that you're going through. But then when you try to put words around it, you're like, actually, I don't. Or like, I remember, do you remember when I came back, I had just met with that, um, the uh, physics guy. He was a quantum physicist. Mm-hmm. And he like gave me this whole breakdown of like things existing in more than um, four dimensions and like all this stuff. And I was like, holy shit. And I thought like, oh, I really understand this. And then as I went to explain it, I was like, oh, shit, I don't understand this as well as I thought I did. Mm -hmm. And it was really fascinating to both realize, okay, wait, I don't understand it. And then force myself to like, hold on, don't just accept that you don't understand it. Really stop and try to figure this out, work your way through it, explain it. And so I was like, I'm parroting him back. And as I was parroting, I began to understand it more. And so then I was walking you guys through it. So lack of clarity is dangerous because you don't think you have a lack of clarity until you go to try and explain it. So you think you know what you want in life, you think you know what your visions are until you go to build a vision board. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, actually, I'm not sure. Like, what kind of house do I want? What kind of car do I want? What do I want my family life to be like? What do I want my romantic relationships to be like? Like, once you have to make it concrete, it's this image instead of this image, you're really forcing yourself to get down to the values of what you think and believe and all of that. And so that clarity is half of why I think it's powerful. The other part is in doing that, you're gonna have to cross a chasm between admitting to yourself this is all fake bullshit and I'm just doing it because people told me that I should, or like, no, 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 I actually can do this. And once you're like, I actually can do this, then you start naturally asking yourself, but how? And once you're into the how and you don't let yourself off the hook and you really like figure it out and you get past those 147 things that you're like, I wish that would work, but it actually won't work because you can like just think through it and you get to the stumbling block. Once you get to one where you're like, whoa, I'm sure this is still wrong, but I can't figure out how it's wrong. That's when you start moving forward. And it only comes from you finally going, this actually is possible for me, and I just need to know how it's done. But without that clarity and that belief, you never get to the execution. That's awesome. Um, Nastia and her father, they don't display their medals. Um, And she gave her explanation as to why in the episode. Um, I wanted to ask if you had won a, a gold medal in the Olympics, would you display it? Probably, but not um, overly reverently. Like, so I have the plaque from Inc. for hitting number two mm. on um, the Inc. 5000 list of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in North America. And I had it up for a while and then it was down. And like for the first, I don't know, year and a half that I had it, it was still in bubble wrap and just like set to the side. Um, so it's like, I thought it was neat. I liked it. I'm mm. stoked. But My whole thing is you need to be obsessed with your future. So I am not comforted by the things that I've done in my past. 
I'm stoked on them. They were awesome. And at one point those are my future and they were the things that I was striving for. So like, you don't want to get in the loop of like never taking a moment to really be stoked on it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, your future should always be bigger than your past. And I'm just naturally like that. You know this maybe more than most. Like I just naturally move the goalposts mm -hmm. and naturally want to do more. And, and I think that's the fun of the human condition. And I use that word on purpose. That's the fun of the human condition is like, oh, I didn't think that was possible, but now I can do it. Awesome. What's next? Oh, I didn't think that was possible, but wow, I can do that too. What's next? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're 80 years old and you look back and realize you're fucking Warren Buffett and you're capable of virtually anything and you're a master of the universe. It's like, that's what I hope. You know, when I'm 80, I'm looking back going like, Jesus, I've really turned into a beast. And at every point in my life, when I look back over a year, I'm not impressed. But when I look back over 10 years, without fail, I've always been blown away. So like, that's my advice to people is cool. Take a look back at the past, have those milestones, the things you've done that are really cool. And if there's a room somewhere in your house, you want to put those up and every now and then go in to like get yourself reamped up about one day, these were impossible things. And now they're fucking plaques on my wall. I dig that. And I, I, at some point would like to have a house that isn't shitty and small, like the one that I'm in now. Um, and really have <laughs> if people laugh when I say that, but I'm actually being sincere. Um, you know, one day I want to have like a, a museum of the things that I've done and, um, the cool moments in my life, but it isn't a room that I would go in on a monthly basis. It might not even be a room that I go in on a yearly basis. But when I have that moment where I want to be reminded of that was once impossible and now it's a plaque. I would go in. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Foxcatcher? Yes. What makes you bring that up? The trophy room. I don't remember the trophy room. In the DuPont house. Oh, this... I remember the DuPont house, but not the trophy room. Yeah. What's was... the what's the shtick in the movie? I don't remember. Well, it's just this place of um they they revere it and spend a lot of time there, or he does. Um Is it John all wrestling DuPont. trophies? They're no, they're um Horse, horse racing. That's oh yeah. yes, that's yeah. right. Equestrian trophies. And if I remember, does he have like weird consternation over it? Because doesn't his mom like horses better than she likes yeah, him or something like exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and better than wrestling. She thinks wrestling is this, you know, gruesome savage that, sport. That movie is weird, dude. Yeah. Especially because it it's movie. a true story. I know. It's sad. I don't know why I thought of that. Well, I, I do know why, but. But we'll, yeah, we'll not derail. Honestly, trophies can they can get distressing like that when people live for them over and over and over. Yeah. Um, let's go back to, you said you really liked how Nastia's mom told her you can quit after you have one good day. And I noted that too, because I thought that was really cool. So can you walk me through like why you think that's such a powerful lesson? Because emotionally, human beings swing wildly. And I think the people that go on to be successful are ones that are able to self-soothe and hold their long-term goals in their head and not fluctuate with their emotions. Mm -hmm. And basically, her mom put a mechanism in place to stop her from doing that. And this, this is one of the reasons that suicide scares the shit out of me is that you're making, and this is not me thinking of this phrase, you're making a permanent decision for a temporary problem. And you can, no matter what, no matter what horrific thing has happened to you, like, and, and dude, I can think of some horrific shit that's happened to people. Confessions that people have made to me, like, where you're just like, whoa. Even those things, like, you can find a way to overcome them psychologically, emotionally, and get into a better neurochemical state, period. Always and forever, no matter what has happened, absolutely, there is a way to get beyond it. And, and there's a way for 
there are people out there who have already gotten over crazier shit than you're going through. So because like all of this stuff is overcomable, you don't want to do anything that's a forever answer to that, whether that's quitting gymnastics or something as like terrifyingly permanent as suicide. So if you can't do that, you're never going to stay the course long enough to make something magical happen because the, um, the, the quote from Churchill, wow, I'm having a stroke. The quote from Churchill that success is going from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Like that's, that's the reality. Like the path to success is just messing up and learning from it over and over and over. And so if on those days where it sucks and you're really not having a good time, you think, man, I just want to tap out. Um, you're just never going to go anywhere. And somebody was saying something to me. Oh, um, we just had the guys, like if you guys don't know Iconic Art, go check them out. Um, they've got an amazing Instagram account. I think they have a Facebook page, right? They sell amazing yeah. art. I'm just obsessed and ironically had bought several pieces of their art before I knew them, but then they reached out to us. Really, really cool guys. They were just here and he was talking about um, this thing that he was having to do in their business, like that really rudimentary shit that you have to do fairly early on that totally sucks and you ultimately hire somebody to deal with it. And it made me flash back to when we first founded Impact Theory and I was fighting with the IRS and like I had to go get... Um, what do they call those? Uh, an advocacy group to like help us because it was getting so fucking stupid. And I was like, it, it was so torturous. And I thought, this is why most entrepreneurs fail. My response was, I, I will, I don't want to say horrible things because I'm sure the government's watching right now, but it was like, <laughs> dude, I'm not going to back down. So like fucking give me my EIN number. Like you don't understand how far I will take this. And that's not most people's response. And it wasn't my response 20 years ago. My response 20 years ago would have been like, I don't understand, like, why this is happening? And this is not fun. I just want to go like, and it would, I wouldn't have said like, oh, I'm giving up on this. You just all of a sudden go deal with something else. You go do yeah. something that's a little more fun. Yeah. And suddenly a month goes by and then six, then 12. And then, you know, it's like collateral, the movie where Tom Cruise asked Jamie Foxx, how long have you been doing your part-time or temporary job? And he says, 12 years. And it, it really comes down to on the days when it sucks, do you keep pushing or not? Nice. I remember those days I would come in and you were, I think you had already been on the phone with the IRS for like an hour. You'd be on the phone every morning for two or three hours and it looked miserable. Dude. And, and it, it was a rare time in my life where I allowed myself to vent in front of the team because like I was so at wit's end. Yeah. That I was like, and this isn't productive. And I know that by bitching, I'm just like, it's a stress release valve. I don't expect anyone to do anything. There's no way for anybody to help. Um, but that's how annoyed I was. Like, yeah. it was so fucking irritating. Remember that. Um, so Nastia retired at age 22 uh, and then sort of went down the next stage of her career. And I wanted to ask you about, you know, you spend so much of your life at that stage building your identity around being a gymnast and then it's all over and you move on. So, so what, like, what do you do? How do you rebuild your identity around something else? And what does that process look like? So for me, this is a, a very easy process and I love hearing stories about people that reinvent themselves every 10 years. I think that that's absolutely incredible because the knowledge that you gain in the other arena, you'd be surprised how much it's going to help you. So she's going to lean on whether she realizes it now or not. And I think she does, but you're going to lean on all the discipline and everything you built as a gymnast, the ability to perform under pressure, to have a plan to go after it using coaches, all that stuff. But now you're going to be able to apply it to a discipline where people may not have 
like that structured and strategic plan. And so now they're able to do, um, you're able to do extraordinary things that they're not because you're able to bring everything you learn from this other discipline. And um, somebody said that where people get Nobel prizes is where one discipline overlaps with another. So you get it for like, um, the intersection of like chemistry and um, neuroscience, right? And it'll be some weird um, discovery about the neurochemistry of addiction or something like that, right? So it's these two overlapping areas because most people in that area don't have that other piece of information that maybe you got because you were an addiction specialist or whatever. Right. Um, so that's really interesting to me. And then they say, and this quote really, this quote scared me in my early 30s. And it is genius is a young man's game. And because I've always been a slow learner and slow to adapt things, and today I was telling some of my story, you were there, and they were like freaking out because my story is to someone who lived it, it was kind of scary because it was just like I was dumb and I was making mistakes and everyone thought I was going to fail and I didn't know what I was doing and I was broke and lost. And so they look at it from the perspective, they're chilling in my Beverly Hills mansion going, well, I know the punchline. The punchline is that you succeed and you get rich and all of that. But living it, I didn't know that was going to be the punchline. Like I just felt fucking lost and had no idea what I was doing. Wasn't a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So that is like having gone through all of that, hearing that quote and thinking, oh dear God, like I, I'm figuring things out so late and so slow. Like, am I going to run out of my youth before I'm able to have these like really powerful insights that supposedly are exclusive to the young? And it really scared me. And then I ended up reading this book and it was talking about this, um, I definitely could be conflating stories, but the, the sentiment of it goes like this. This guy had won, I think, two Nobel Prizes in different areas, and they were like, re for work, because most people win them late in life, but it's usually for work that they did in their 20s, which is fucking scary. And he won it for work that he had done like when he was 40 and 60 or something. And he just said, oh, every 10 years, I force myself to reinvent myself. And he said, because all the stuff that you learn in one discipline, you don't see how it immediately relates, but it does. And it just stacks and stacks and stacks. And so he's, and now is where I might be conflating things, but somebody, either him or somebody else said, and when you can get them to like be sort of logical building blocks, then it really gets interesting. So, you know, maybe you start out in um, microbiology and then it goes into um, learning neuroscience and then it goes into artificial intelligence. Okay, like those are things because you understand how cellular organisms work. You understand how regions and networks in the brain work. So when you're trying to create AI that mimics humans, like you get that path. Mm -hmm. So... But that's somebody who's reinventing themselves, where they go from being maybe the top dog to being at the bottom, which, of course, something everybody thought that I was crazy when I left filmmaking to go into being an entrepreneur. Then they thought I was crazy for leaving technology to go into food. They thought I was crazy for leaving food, going into, um, you know, media. So it's like, but each one of those things has taught me something that stacks on itself. And so it gives me a much broader frame of reference. So I don't think that genius is a young man's game. I think genius is the domain for people that have a fresh mind, that aren't dogmatic, that don't think of themselves as an expert. Their thinking hasn't calcified into dogma. And I think that that's really, really important. That's awesome. 
All right. Oh, and you asked me how you do it. Um, so find something that I won't go into my tirade about how to generate a passion in your life. But once you've generated a passion, pick one of those passions and go down that path because it's going to give you the energy. Learn, read in swarms, start figuring that thing out. Love that you don't know. Lean on your naivete because having the naivete of the beginner means you're not going to stop yourself by how daunting the task really is because you don't know, right? So I'm sure if... I knew now what I was really going to have to face to build the, the studio that we want to build. I'd just be like, it's too much fucking effort and I'm not going to do it. But because I don't know and I'm so excited about what we're doing and excited about what the world would look like if we can actually pull this off that I just keep going. That's awesome. All right. Uh, we'll do one more question. So... Actually, I want to ask you this. How, how excited were you or how pumped were you in the interview when Nastia said, yeah, it's one thing to have the vision board with the, gold, with the medals on it, but it's another thing to have like the day-to-day -day plan of all the, like what, do you, what is your goal for today? What is your goal for the week? What is your goal for the month? And how it leads up to that long-term vision. When she first mentioned the secret, I thought, oh God, this is one of those moments where I really, my goal with the show is really to give people a chance to shine. And if they have a point of view that I don't necessarily agree with, I don't feel the need to like combat them and try to convince mm -hmm. them. Um, I want the audience to hear a bunch of information, some of it conflicting and draw their own conclusions. But I also want to make sure that people understand, that our viewers understand that I have a consistent worldview. Mm -hmm. And while I'm always open to being it being changed, if I'm not changed, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I totally get that. So I was like, oh, God, like I'm going to have to say like that I have I think I said I have a complicated relationship with The Secret because I do think half of it's amazing, um, which is that you have to get yourself to a place where you believe that you're clear in what you're trying to do and accomplish and believe that you can actually go and do that. But then it's not like you just sit and wait for it to come to you. And so when Nasty was like, you're right, you've got to bust ass. Like you've really got to work. You've got to have that day-to-day -day plan. You've got to be able to execute. Um, that's when I know, cool, this person understands that getting your head right is a massively powerful step one, but it isn't what's gonna carry you across the finish line. And at the end of the day, only execution matters. And if somebody thinks all the right things but never acts, they will lose to a person who thinks all the wrong things but accidentally acts correctly. So if you're only gonna give me one, at the end of the day, I'd rather be wrong-headed and right in my actions than right in my thoughts and wrong in my actions. Nice. All right, last question. What do you think is next for Nastia Lukin? Man, I, I think that the discipline that she's built as a gymnast is really going to help her build a business. I think that she's got the discipline, the understanding that you have to steer by results, that you've got to be better than other people to be a competitor. Um, all of those things are going to help her pivot and pivot and pivot and pivot and pivot until she gets it right. Um, so I have no doubt they've already heard her, her fiance at the time of the recording. Um, they have started at least one company. They might have two. Um, and so while maybe the early ones don't end up succeeding, I, I think that they'll keep going until they succeed. So, um, I think this is a case of whatever she sincerely puts her mind to, she's going to make happen. That's great. Well, that's it for after impact today. Awesome guys. Thank you so much for joining us. This is always a lot of fun and thank you to agent Smith for being here. You're welcome. Uh, very, very excited to have you back. And if you haven't already, my friends, be sure to subscribe and until next time, my friends be legendary. Take care.